What's happening, everybody? Welcome in to the Final Whistle Sports Podcast. We have made it. We are there. We're actually a little bit behind. The first game of the NFL season has started, but we are in our final episode of our divisional breakdowns. I have my good friend Peyton Doyle from PD Sports. We've been working on trying to get my friend Peyton onto the show. Finally able to make it happen. Peyton, how are you? Thanks for coming on. I'm feeling good, bro. I'm glad that the stars have finally aligned. Finally recording this episode right in the nick of time, right before week one. Absolutely. And what we're looking at is the AFC North to wrap it all up. A very intriguing division, to say the least, with how it unfolded last year. The team that probably surprised everybody was Cincinnati, who ended up winning the division and representing the AFC in the Super Bowl with their improbable run, I think, to say the least. And then it finished with Pittsburgh making the playoffs and then Cleveland and Baltimore were on the outside looking in. Peyton, let's jump right in with the Cincinnati Bengals. What was their Achilles heel offensive line? And that is all they addressed this offseason draft in an in-free agency was to try and stir up that offensive line and protect Joe Burrow. The weapons are all over the field, especially on the offensive side of the ball. They did finish 10-7 and last year. Peyton, I'm going to ask you, what are the expectations for Cincinnati? And can they go back and represent the AFC? See, that's a tough question because I think they can. I think that for the reasons that you mentioned, for the first time in their franchise's history, they actually dug into the pockets and and spent money in free agency. And not only did they spend money, they didn't spend useless money on useless players. These, These guys on the offensive line that they signed, that is their biggest weakness. Like you said, it was their Achilles heel. And now that is solidified and much, much more improved. It probably would have won them the Super Bowl last year if they had it. Now, with that said, can we expect them to make it back to the Super Bowl? That's going to be tough, especially in an AFC where the Bills, we saw what they did last night. Holy crap. They look like the real deal. You have other teams like basically the entire AFC West, the Chiefs, the Chargers, the Raiders. The AFC is a tough, tough or tough conference it's probably the hardest conference to come out of so i wouldn't expect them to but if you're asking me if they could i would say they certainly could make it back to the super bowl Peyton, i think the interesting thing for me when i look at the Bengals, right is i don't think offense was ever the question mark right we, even with the offensive line struggles last year they were on fire and lightning in a bottle with ev- all those weapons that they have with joe mixon jamar chase t higgins tyler boyd now the acquisition of Hayden Hurst, who I think is actually going to be their breakout, breakout star this year at the tight end position with CJ Uzuma moving on. But for me, I, there is the possibility of Cincinnati getting there. I don't think they will because I think how will this new offensive line actually be able to develop that chemistry, right? It's four brand new starters and how it's going to look with Jonah Williams, Cordell Volson, Ted Karras, Alex Kappa and Lyle Collins, how are they going? How quickly will this rhythm get into place, right? And for me, I don't think it's going to happen very quickly. And the, we have to look at the division itself, right? You have arguably, with the Deshaun Watson situation being suspended for eleven games, that kind of takes Cleveland out of the mix at least for the start of the year. But Pittsburgh. The defense doesn't go away. They get them week one to struggle. We'll see how Mitch Trubisky looks in week one. But then the overlying team that we thought was were the favorites last year, which was Baltimore, and I, we would probably argue that Baltimore was the would have won that division if Lamar Jackson didn't play those last five or six games of the season and where they fell off the map because of his injury. I want to see, and I, for me, after what we saw last night, Buffalo is the clear and above team in the AFC after this. And they played average for that first half. And then they hit a gear that LA, I don't even think expected that they could hit. So I think their strength, of course, is that fast break offense. But I think there's also question marks with this defense. I get it with, especially on outside on the corners. They got, got exposed a lot last year. And I think this is going to be something that they will have to address. Is my Defensive secondary question mark, a valid one, Peyton. Of course it is. Of course it's valid, but I'll tell you this, and I hate to put it all on one guy, but Joey B is him. Like, he really is that guy. Like, if we're talking about, 
anyone who has just gotten it factor in the NFL right now at the quarterback position, Joe Burrow is amongst the top of that list with those guys that have it. And, and it's almost like this indescribable thing that you can't put your finger on. I, I can't describe it to someone who doesn't understand it. <laughs> Joe Burrow has it. He wins games. He has done this since college. Even when the Cincinnati Bengals were awful before he got hurt in his rookie year, for some reason, like he just always felt like he rose to the occasion. And yes, while the defensive secondary concerns are there, I think that the Bengals should be expected to win this division. Still, you are the reigning AFC champions. You are expected to go the next year and at least win your division. I I don't know. I have so I have Cincinnati based off of their record right now. I think they will finish about the same, ten and seven. But I think that's actually going to have them in the wild card, not winning their division. Believe it or not, I mm. actually and we'll get to who I have winning the division later on. But I think ten and I think we forget like even though they represented the AFC, they only went ten and seven, right? Even though it's a solid record and the AFC North is a very tough division to say the least but i think we forget like everyone thinks that they were like 12 and 5 or 13 and 4 but when you go back into it it was a team that got really hot late and rallied off wins to win that division where do you have where do you have them in the win range i have them anywhere from 12 to 13 i think they'll win a little bit more and the reason why is because yeah you're right they they did go 10 and 7 they did kind of like sneak into the playoffs there at the end due to injuries in, in the division and whatnot. Right. But the reason why they got so hot so late is because this was a team that was so young and it took a while for them to kind of hit their stride. And I like the point that you made about the offensive line, because I think that is a valid concern. How long is it going to take for this unit to gel? Because it is four new starters. It is a lot of new pieces coming in there. And a lot of offensive line isn't necessarily just pure talent on paper. It's how well do you guys block together? you got to know where each other is. And that would be my main concern for the Bengals this year. And it could lead to another slow start. But I doubt it because now these young these young players are getting there another year with Zach Taylor as head coach. They're in the same system, the same offense that was in place last year is the same offense that was in place this year, as well as the defense as well. So nothing has really changed, but they've gotten better. So that's why I think their record will improve. And I think that's a valid point. And I think it's going to be intriguing to see how Cincinnati handles now the expectations, right? The expectations are there. Now, especially after last year, it was more of a unforeseen uh, circumstance that ended up leading to them that no one really expected them going off of this type of run to wrap the year. But you are absolutely right. Joe Burrow has whatever it is. But like, and I think that's the one thing that that it factor try to tries to emulate, right? That you can't describe it. But like, if you're watching, you can see whatever it is because it's kind of like. It kind of creates an anomaly, an anomaly. I can't say the word anomaly of how people try to find what, how to define it or whatever. So I think yeah. that's that's something that's intriguing. Let's jump to the next squad. All right. So that is the Pittsburgh Steelers, who I think Mike Tomlin just keeps to figure out a way to keep these guys above 500 and like a very competitive squad. And for Pittsburgh, the defense is always there. The terrible towels. The, expectations and legacy that is with the Pittsburgh Steelers. But the real question mark will be, can they actually maintain something, especially when they haven't had anything at the quarterback position these last couple of years? It is going to be Mitchell Trubisky's squad to start with Kenny Pickett as the backup. Even though Kenny Pickett showed great signs in this preseason, I think Trubisky was the correct option with how big of a gap there really was for Pickett to get in into the system and try and catch up to Trubisky with having the, he's already being a starter in Chicago. Peyton, does Pittsburgh finish above 500 again? Can Mike Tomlin create another miracle year with him and the Steelers? I want to say no. Of course, I want to say no. But it's hard for me to say no, and here's why. Because 
I really like Mitchell Trubisky. And I think that if he starts all 17, I think the the Steelers will be in playoff contention. I don't think they will make the playoffs, but I think they will be in playoff contention. And Mike Tomlin is never going to put the Steelers, whether it's week one or week 18, in a situation that is going to not maximize their chance to win the game. And if he feels like Mitch Trubisky is the best option, he's not just going to throw Kenny Pickett in there to get the young guy some reps. If Mitch Trubisky is the best quarterback on the team, he will start all 17 games of this season. And I think because of that, I don't think that the the Steelers are going to be world beaters, but I think they're going to be hard to beat. They're going to be extremely hard to beat, just like they always are year in, year out. When you have a defense like that, and when you're a well-coached team with pedigree and a lot of good players, you're going to be hard to beat. I don't see them as playoff as playoff team in the AFC because the AFC, like I mentioned earlier, is unbelievably oh, stacked from top to bottom. But I do think that there's a chance that they go nine and eight and they get that winning record tag. But I also I I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like if I were to pick a win range for them, it's nine or eight. They're either going to go eight exactly. or nine or nine and eight. If they went seven and ten or below, I'd be a little bit surprised. And if they went 10 and seven and higher, I'd be a little bit surprised. They're going to be hugging that nine and eight and eight and nine range. And if this was a 16 game season, I'd probably predict them at eight and eight. No, I agree. I have them at, in that eight or nine win range as well, just because of Mike Tomlin's ability to coach and with that rugged defense that they have. The real question mark will be on the offensive side of the ball, right? They have struggled. They're another team that doesn't have an offensive line in, in recent years, and they can't figure that out. And when you have a dynamic back in Najee Harris, you've got to figure out ways to be able to get him the, the football. But because the offensive line struggles in run blocking so badly, you're just having the guy take unnecessary hits because they're trying to give him the, get him touches but he's going nowhere and just taking a beating in that retrospect. And I feel like that's an actual concern that he's coming off. That he has, he's coming in with a foot injury, right? Where does, where does that unfold with their offense? Because right now, if you really look at it offensively, I could Najee, Najee Harris and then pretty much everybody else. So that's my true concern with them is will they be able to score enough points even though their defense is rugged and will keep them in games for two or three quarters. But I think they're going to get broken down in all these closer or tight games because of the inability of their offense to move the ball. And I, I want to put, push back on what you're thinking about Mitchell Trubisky. What do you see that what – I know Chicago is just an absolute disaster, right, with Nagy and Pace. What have you seen – in Trubisky, that's gonna that gives you some confidence that he's gonna be successful in Pittsburgh. Well, he has a winning record as a starter, number one. Right. And it's a very similar situation in Pittsburgh as it was to Chicago for Mitchell Trubisky in, in his years there. Matt Nagy, obviously a way worse coach than than Mike Tomlin. So you're getting an upgrade in coaching. The Bears had a not-so-great offensive line, a pretty solid running back in David Montgomery, a pretty solid receiving core, actually a worse receiving core than they have in Pittsburgh right now, but Allen Robinson was still pretty good back then, and a very good defense. And all Mitch Trubisky had to do was learn how to manage the game and take care of the ball, and they made the playoffs twice with Mitchell Trubisky as their starting quarterback. He had a winning record in Chicago. Now, I didn't think Mitch Trubisky was going to get them over the hump and win them a Super Bowl, but I don't think he's going to do that in Pittsburgh either. I think he is good enough to take Pittsburgh and maybe even get them into the playoffs, at least have them in the mix, even in a tough AFC. I think Mitch Trubisky got a little bit of a bad rap because, one, what Chicago gave up to trade up from third overall to second overall just to draft him, which was unbelievable in itself. And also the fact they drafted him second overall above Deshaun yeah. Watson, above Patrick Mahomes. But that's not that's not Mitch Trubisky's fault. It's not Mitchell Trubisky's fault whatsoever. But he got a little bit of a, a little bit of a bad rap, especially in Chicago. So that's kind of why he got he wasn't gonna get that fifth year option. He was done. But now this is his chance to revive himself. 
He's playing with house money. He has nothing to lose. And he knows that the rookie right there behind him is going to get his chance no matter what because he was drafted in the first round. So Mitch Trubisky is trying out to prove to NFL teams that he is a franchise quarterback. So he's coming in with a chip on his shoulder. We've seen Mitch Trubisky in a similar situation like he is in Pittsburgh where all you have to do is take care of the ball and at least score enough points to win the game. And now you're doing that also with a much better coach and a much better organization as of recent, and also with much better wide receivers. I think Mitch Trubisky can keep the Steelers in playoff contention this year. All right, Peyton. So I agree with everything that you've said, but I, I, I do think Kenny Pickett is going to see some playing time at some point this year, because I think the, the fans will just get on Trubisky one or two times. It may not. I, I think Trubisky will start the whole year, right? Because regardless, in Tomlin's eyes, I think everyone in Pittsburgh knows that after this year, it's Pickett's team. It's the same situation with how it was working in San Francisco, right, last year. You knew that Trey Lance was going to sit out. He did see a little bit of playing time. And you knew it was Jimmy G's squad, at least for last year. And now this year, they've given the reins over to Trey Lance. I think it's going to be the exact same situation. I like that tryout, uh, the tryout language, right? that he is now playing for his job. Because I don't think he he knows that he's not going to be in Pittsburgh next year after them taking a quarterback and ticket. He knows that even though it was, I think it was a two-year deal that he signed, that yeah. it, this is, he's either going to get traded or he's going to get released next year and allowed to explore free agency. Because I don't think he's going to sit behind Pickett as the backup. Because they know it's going to be a lot of growing pains with Pickett either way. And they're going to learn from that in Pittsburgh with Pickett at the range. So I actually like that Trubisky situation. And you're right. He has a lot better pieces than Deontay Johnson, Chase Claypool, as well as now George Pickens really emerged as a rookie out of Georgia who didn't see that much playing time in college because of injury. But you, everyone knew about his talent coming out of college. But because he fell, because of that, those injury concerns, I think you are, I think you're onto something when it comes to Trubisky. And I think Will, I just want to finish off with you saying we'll pick it, play it all this year, any bit, any bit. I mean, not unless they're blowing out a team and or like he comes getting, into the, the second or half. Or they're getting blown out. Okay. Yeah, or they're getting blown out. But for as long as I can tell you this, if Mitch Trubisky comes in and stinks and the Steelers are out of playoff contention by yeah, week five, it, you're going to see Kenny Pickett play, but I don't think that will happen. I think Mitch Trubisky is going to come in and do well. And I think that because they're going to be in playoff contention, like I said earlier with Mike Tomlin, Mike Tomlin doesn't care about fan opinion. Mike Tomlin cares about putting the Steelers in week in and week out the best situation to win football games. And if he thinks that that's Mitch Trubisky, which I'm guessing he would, if they're still in playoff contention with him, Mitch Trubisky is going to be the starter from start to finish of the season. I agree with that. I think I, I think the only way he was going to play was if they were absolutely laying an egg. And I don't that Pittsburgh Pittsburgh doesn't do that. They're always having it. They all they're always around the mix until they're officially eliminated. You won't see Pickett. Yeah. All right, Peyton. Let's go to your squad. You're the Cleveland guy. Let's go to your Browns. Let's talk how the expectations are. I think we all know with how everything's unfolded this offseason with the Browns. Baker Mayfield traded away after Deshaun Watson was traded for and signed to that massive contract. Deshaun Watson's suspension is final now. It's 11 games. I will say it kind of is interesting that his first game back will be his trip down to Houston. Uh, don't, sorry, NFL, I smell something there. Um, but, <laughs> um, but Deshaun Watson was suspended 11 games. Baker's return is going to be week one. Just love how the NFL just sets it up, right, going against their former squad. 11 games out, Jacoby Brissett will be the guy I thought that Jimmy G was going to be traded for, but with how that's unfolded, that he's going to stay in San Francisco. I thought you guys would make a play at him just for an 11-game rental and try to make yourself relevant going into the playoffs. All right, Peyton, so lay it on me. Will your Browns be in contention by the time Deshaun Watson comes back, or is this just a year that you take your hits and call it a day? I think the Browns are going to be – they're not going to be easy to beat with Jacoby Brissett. I don't think they will. I think that the defense is pretty good. And I think that Jacoby Brissett's good enough to hand the ball off to Nick Chubb a whole bunch and just kind of not turn the ball over. Right. But I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm very confident in Jacoby Brissett. I think he could keep the team afloat for 
the first four games, but once you get into the games like against the Chargers, against the Patriots, the Ravens, the Bengals, the Dolphins, the Bills, and the Buccaneers, all consecutively, all consecutively, that's right before Deshaun Watson comes back. Those are the seven games after those first four games that Deshaun Watson will miss. I think it's going to be pretty rough. I, and I, I think it's going to be too much for when Deshaun Watson does come back for them to clean up and make the playoffs. If I were to give you a total wins, I would say anywhere from six to eight wins for the Browns this year. That's that's really what I'm thinking, especially because just I can't see Brissett going and beating New England, even though I think New England's going to be bad this year. I certainly can't see him beating any of those other teams that I mentioned. I think we'll beat the Falcons. I think we'll beat the Panthers in week one, surprisingly. And I think we'll beat the Jets. I don't think we'll beat the Steelers. And then when Deshaun Watson comes back, that's just going to be, that's six games right there. He can't dig. Deshaun Watson's not going to go undefeated for the next six games. He's not going to go six and oh, right. you know what I mean? He's going to take a minute to come back because trust me, I was in Jacksonville for that first preseason game. He's rusty. He's rusty. He <laughs> hasn't looked, played. He hasn't played in a couple of years. Now, yeah. Basically. He hasn't played in over a year. Now he's going to, now it's going to be longer than that. It's going to be 11 games longer. We're not going to see him until he comes back after that, after those 11 games in week 13, he's going to take a while to come back. This is the Browns. The Browns didn't get Deshaun Watson for this year. Evidently. So with the structure of his contract, they got Deshaun Watson for the next three, four or five years. Right, and I I think I have Cleveland getting about five or six wins just because of that gauntlet that you mentioned. And no offense to Jacoby Brissett, but he is going to not be the best quarterback on in, in any of those games in that stretch. And, yes, we've seen glimpses of what he can show when he was in New England as well as in Indianapolis. But there was also so many flashes of red flags, especially when he was in Indy. And even though he had those first five or six games when he was the starter there of showing a lot of promise, he fell off of the map considerably. I think injuries also played a part in that. But I think it's going to be extremely difficult to keep you guys afloat. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see. Week one will be a tell. We'll see how Baker plays in that week one matchup. But I also want to get your take. I know we had a little bit of disagreement on this on somebody else on Marcus's show about how when the suspension was laid out at the initial six games and it's been ratcheted up to 11 and you gave your opinion on saying that it wasn't going to be elevated up, right? Peyton, I just mm-hmm. want, because of, of the legal system of how the NFL is graded, which is a warranted argument. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you see 11 games as the correct suspension? Or do you see that it should have stayed at the six? Or do you think it should have went back up after how it's unfolded throughout this entire process? Because you're a Cleveland guy. I just want to get your thoughts on it. Yeah. I mean, from an objective point of view, like just taking the like Cleveland bias out of it. Right. I think that I think that this was fine. I think that the 11 I, I games agree. was fine. I think that the NFL was in a situation where they had to set a precedent that you, you can't do this kind of behavior, even though they were only allegations and there was no charges in, in in court right you still can't be in situations that are getting you accused of this kind of stuff you know what i mean it's it gets a little bit out of hand but i did also think that the six games also would have been enough i just felt like yes deshaun watson's actions were egregious and what he's been accused of were egregious right, right. And, and that's to say the least they're egregious and that's how sue robinson described them but just like sue robinson said the nfl has constantly missed the ball on situations like this over and over and over and over again and in fact sue robinson by the rules of the nfl gave deshaun watson the only suspension that was that was warranted based off of the NFL's bylaws that were agreed upon in the collective bargaining agreement between them and the NFL players association, right? The the baseline suspension for violating the NFL code of conduct is six games. 
And that was what Sue Robinson ruled. Sue Robinson was like, I'm not going to set that precedent because my job is to rule within your bylaws. If you want to change the precedent on your own and appeal this, that's fine. But as long as these rules are the rules, this is the best I can do. And also Sue Robinson had put in her in her report that this was the biggest punishment at six games that anyone has ever received for that violation, for what is considered what Sue Robinson described as non-violent sexual misconduct. That's what she described it as. And it was the most violent or the most severe punishment of anyone to ever get that at that time. And now it's 11 games, which is good because that's a, that's a good baseline for this moving forward because you can't keep giving two, three game suspensions for egregious behavior. So I do agree with that. I'm a little as a Browns fan, that it wasn't a full year. I was prepping for the league to just take it as a full year. I would have thought that a full year would have been a little bit unwarranted because of just simply the fact that this wasn't able to get to criminal court. If there was charges, I would say, dude, yeah, suspend suspend the crap out of them. You know what I mean? But for as long as this couldn't get out of civil court, everything's been settled. He's agreed to you know, go to therapy and and change his behavior and whatnot. That 11 game suspension is fine because it's, it's a punishment to the Browns. The Browns are going to be out of playoff contention. It's a punishment to Deshaun Watson because you're missing almost the entire year, but it's not an unwarranted suspension by the NFL. It was a good settlement. I feel like for both sides, it was the best case scenario for Deshaun Watson. And it was, enough to save face in the public eye for the NFL as well. Right. And 11 to 12 games was my initial prediction when this first came out. So I'm not surprised that it went up to 11 or 12. And I think this is honestly just more of a bad look by all parties, right? Bad look by Deshaun, a bad look by Houston, a bad look by the NFL, because honestly, NFL wanted the year. We all know that he they wanted the year. But they were afraid that if Deshaun appealed, that he was going to be playing this upcoming weekend, and that was going to be a bigger eye-opening situation to the NFL at an optics standpoint that you want him for a year, and yet he's still playing. And that's why the settlement really came into effect, because the NFL wanted to make sure that he was not playing this upcoming weekend. I felt like that was one of the bigger underlying factors that people really don't take into account, right? And I, I thought that the year was going to happen. I, that's what I also thought. We've, for me, when it comes to this situation, that this egregious behavior, we also have to factor in that the legal system, they were only looking at four cases. They were only going based off of four. Even though there were 24 to 25 counts of this, you have to remember it was only four that were getting looked at because that was only the jurisdiction of how the protocol worked with Sue L. Robinson and the NFL proposing that. So she's going based off of four. She's not going based off of 24. Regardless of the situation, it's egregious behavior, right? We're both on the same page there. And the accusations were warranted, and he settled out pretty much every case, but now besides the one. So I think everything now, and we're going to, stop it here with this conversation because it's never the most comfortable one and everyone's there's no right answer to answer it right and how to give the no it's crappy all the way around way around so it is we'll wrap it up with that but i think for cleveland at a football standpoint if you can tread any type of water and then these last those last six games just allow deshaun to find the groove within the offense how stefanski calls plays and regardless, if you're only going to play him, let's just say your season's over and you play him only three out of the four games, three or four games, and you don't play him those last couple just for safety reasons, because it, you're right. The way the contract is situated, this is for the long run. They knew this year was never going to potentially be how they wanted it to go. So get him used to the system, almost treat it like a preseason, right, of getting everyone on the same page and get Amari Cooper involved. I think he was overpaid. I don't know what you think on that situation of bringing him in with this trade. I think he's – I don't see him as a number one wide receiver. I see him as a, a solid number two. 
but um, I think Cleveland will struggle, and that's just because of the situation that they're put themselves in with how it's going to unfold this year. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a tough situation, but the Browns knew what they were getting themselves into. This was a right. long-term investment rather than a short-term win. It wasn't a win-now move. Right. It was a win-the-next-few-years move. You know what I mean? It wasn't a win-now move. I do think Amari Cooper is better than you're probably giving him credit for. Because I, I think that... As a Dallas Cowboys fan, I'm always the guy. I'm going to rip him because he was a Cowboys guy because I can't stand the Cowboys as a Commanders fan. And we're going to suck. So, like, I'm just going to... Pro- that's more of a personal vendetta than okay, I Okay, that's have. fair. So, it's more... But <laughs> we could, we could say this. Yeah, we could say this, though. While CeeDee Lamb put up the number one stats last year as opposed to Amari Cooper. I don't number one either, so... Yeah. But who was Dak more comfortable throwing the ball to? Certainly, probably it was Amari. It was Cooper. it was certainly Amari Cooper. Honestly, because I would make the argument that it was probably Michael Gallup out of the three, but because Michael Gallup was the one that stretched the ball and was injury injury prone, he doesn't he's not on the field enough. So yeah, but so I, I think Amari Cooper is definitely kind of slightly underrated, and I think the contract in comparison to the landscape of the NFL and how much wide receivers have been getting paid this offseason, right. It's kind of a steal for a guy who's going to get number one volume in your offense. Correct. I think we'll see. it'll be interesting. I think Donald Peoples-Jones is a sleeper player for you guys. He's been there in this system for a couple of years now, and he's thrived, especially when he was with Baker. I just want to last, – last thing on Cleveland before you go. What is, what is your take this week on and how Baker is going to play against his former squad? You said that you think you guys are going to beat Carolina, so you think that – Baker's going to struggle, I'm assuming. Maybe not struggle, but like, I don't think he's going to go out there and throw for four, like 450 yards and five touchdowns That's on not us. His you game. Know. That's not his style either. Exactly. So. Baker, it, it's a lot like Nick Chubb said, and Nick Chubb was joking, but I think it was a little bit of a half joke. For those of you who didn't see it, Nick Chubb was just kind of like, well, we all know Baker, so that means we don't really know what to expect. Yeah, right. we don't know what to expect. Baker will either go out there and have the game of his life against Cleveland, or he'll go out there and be much as like how he always is sometimes, and that's insanely mid. Insanely right. mid. In, in incredibly middle of the pack. Not anything special. Not anything that's going to get the team over the hump. I think that when you look at the Browns, and the reason why I picked the Browns wasn't because like, oh, I'm a Browns fan, blah, blah, blah. Right. When I make my picks, like I genuinely put bias aside. I promise I do. <laughs> When you look at the Browns on paper and when you look at the Panthers on paper, yeah, I get that the Panthers have done a lot this offseason to improve and they have a lot of young pieces, especially on that defense. But one, Matt Rule sucks. Matt Rule is coaching for his job and he's begging Baker Mayfield to save his job. Two, the Browns from top to bottom of the team is a better are a, are a better team than the Panthers are and that's why I chose them. And I get that it's rough going in there week 1 and they're on the road and I get that, but Carolina's not a tough place to go and play. It's not like they're they're going to Arrowhead or they're going to Seattle. Like this is this is Carolina. You know what I mean? It's not a big deal. And I think that the Browns even with Jacoby Brissett are going to play well enough to just eke out a win against the Panthers. I don't think it'll be a very convincing win, but I think that they have enough to win the game. It'll be an ugly win. It'll yeah, be exactly. Ugly. I just hope Carolina doesn't do that 3D or whatever they were doing with that graphic of the Panthers flying around. <laughs> that was an awful block. Some weird <laughs> stuff, yeah. Mm-mm. Well, I this is just off topic now, but I made a comment because they're going with their all-black alternate uniforms now in Carolina. I was like, Disney, you guys better watch out to shoot because they're going to call it the Black Panther uniform. Like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like that name's already taken. Exactly. Those those uniforms are kind of sick, though. They I like those look, black and yeah. They do look nice. Yeah. But I was like, they're going to get Disney's going to sue them for all those patent stuff and just bank off of it. Yeah. With a buyout. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Let's go to our last squad. And that is the team that we all probably thought we we're going to win the division, but ended up finishing last. Probably because more than anything that they were probably arguably the most injured team in football last year, and that was the Baltimore Ravens. 
And the big news coming out was just happened er hours earlier today, and that was Lamar Jackson and the Ravens have not agreed to an extension. And I have been all about this this year, and I know Lamar is probably going to bet on himself, and he might have a breakout season. My man, do not do not take a step onto that football field Sunday, but he's been adamant that he's going to be taking that taking the field because there is no offense that is more designed for their quarterback than it is the Baltimore Ravens. I don't know. I, I'm really mixed. I have a mixed feelings on this, right? Because I, I think the quarterbacks deserve to get their money, and I think he is he. You could make the argument that he is not maybe the best quarterback in football but he's the arguably the best football player in football because of just the, how dynamic he is throwing and running with the football he's just he's box office right and you want to make sure that you have him locked up for years to come and now it seems like there's a lot of tension with how like he's been liking these different posts about the miami guy will he go to miami if miami struggles but that wouldn't be a two or three year thing because of how the franchise tag works. And then it, I think this whole situation could get ugly if Baltimore doesn't extend him. Peyton, what do you see the Ravens doing? And is it right for Lamar to try and play, even though he's playing on this fifth year and betting on himself, basically, i.e. Kirk Cousins? I, I like that Lamar wants to bet on himself a little bit, but I don't think that he'll get a fully guaranteed deal because I think that it, one, he wants the Deshaun Watson deal and the Deshaun Watson deal it's is unprecedented. It's an outlier. It's the Browns. Trust me. I can tell you this. There is not an organization in the history of pro football that is desperate for a franchise quarterback like the Browns were before trading for Deshaun Watson. They needed to do whatever they could to make sure Deshaun Watson waived his no trade clause to go play on Lake Erie, the mistake on the lake in Cleveland, Ohio, as opposed to going and playing in a comfortable dome in New Orleans or a comfortable dome in Atlanta where he's from in Georgia. So. Right. They're, they needed to give him fully guaranteed money in order to attract him to play for them. And, and they were desperate enough to do that. The Ravens aren't a desperate organization. They aren't a team that's going to do that. And I think that in negotiations, they'll be like, sure, you might want the Deshaun Watson money, but aren't you glad that we're not desperate enough to have to pay you this amount of money? Like that, that makes your career a whole lot better because you're playing for an actual like competent organization rather than what's going on in Cleveland. So there's that argument for the Ravens. And then they also have the style of play matters with Lamar Jackson. And Lamar last year is coming off a season that wasn't necessarily extremely stellar. He, I believe at the time he got injured, he was leading the league in interceptions, or at least on pace to. Then you have the fact that he does rely on his legs to run. And the, the, the longevity is not there for guys in the NFL. It's, it's a track record. And I don't... I'm not predicting that that's going to happen right. and I don't want it to happen. I love Lamar Jackson. I, I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I, I wish that he wasn't on the Ravens so I could root for him more. But the fact of the matter is when you're a running quarterback and you rely on your legs to make plays, your longevity is, is much like Cam Newton's as opposed to like Tom Brady or like Drew Brees or even like big Ben. You're not really in your prime past 35. That's, that's not there. So when you're looking at giving Lamar Jackson a long-term deal and making it fully guaranteed after a year that he was injured, that's concerning. I don't think you could do that as a Raven. So I think the Ravens are, are right in standing their ground, but I also like Lamar Jackson standing his ground as well and saying, okay, I'm going to show you guys this year that I'm that guy and you're going to give me the fully guaranteed guaranteed deal. Right. And I think, so Baltimore is my pick to win the division. But now after these this news, like I'm I'm it's like a hesitant still taking them to win the division, right? Because of how whether or not I, Lamar's gonna play. I don't think that's any questioned anymore that he's gonna bet on himself. And I think honestly, before before I thought he was gonna be right there for MVP. And he still might be there just because of how electric he really is. And I think with Baltimore, it's we've seen the dynamic now of the Ravens is we've seen how bad it is of getting a contract when the person doesn't have an agent. You can see how the agent is that third party and gets everything settled and is more realistic than the player. It's 
itself, right? So the player wants the Deshaun Watson money, and I think I agree. It's outlier money. If you look at every other contract, especially with how Russell Wilson and Kyler, they were the most two recent. They're in that 170 to 175 range. And the other three guys with Rodgers and Josh Allen, they're more in the 150 to 160 range. That was should have been the target from the start. But because the issue is, is that the team that is in their division paid Deshaun Watson all that money. And Lamar has the leverage of saying, Deshaun's not an MVP. I'm an MVP. You guys create this enti- the entire offense is behind me. You guys want me to be able to play at a high level. So there's arguments on both sides. But then there's also because Lamar's doing it through himself that you, you're trying to l- linger with the language of what you can't really say like you would to an agent of saying like you don't want to hurt feelings and then create all this extra tension in the locker room. So I feel like both sides are a little bit hesitant of what they really want to say, which yeah. has led to Lamar, Lamar doing his a little bit of his social media pettiness of how everything's going with how the contract was going unfold, how the contract negotiations were unfolding. But I still see it's going to be interesting now because right now I don't think the extension will get done at all because if they, unless he wins them the Super Bowl, I think he's just going to get the tag now for the next two or three years. He's still on average by be a top five because he gets the average of the top five quarterbacks is how the tag works. So he'll still get his money. But now it'll be a year-to-year type deal, not the contract extension that what he truly wanted. So I think this might have backfired on him. Do you agree? Or do you I think th- might, do you think Baltimore because their organization set up in the way that they'll pay him still with that extension? I think it's a lot like Dak Prescott and his contract okay. situation, where even though the year that Dak Prescott was betting on himself, he was injured, his absence validated his presence as valuable, and it was still enough for them to pay him. Lamar Jackson hopefully won't have that same issue, and he will have a great year, but. Well, can you make that argument last year? We saw them how bad they looked without, right? So, like, why didn't that be? Why didn't that help them now? I mean, yeah, but Tyler Huntley came in and kind of kept it afloat a little bit. Like, he didn't play that bad. And, you know, who knows that even if Lamar Jackson was there, that if the Ravens would have made the playoffs, because they were injured. It wasn't just Lamar Jackson that was injured. It was everyone that was injured. And I think that... Lamar Lamar is betting on himself one to stay healthy to prove that he's worth this kind of money but I don't think that he'll even ever get the fully guaranteed deal Dak Prescott wanted like 45 million dollars a year he didn't end up getting it but he took a nice deal I think it's going to be the same with Lamar Jackson I think Lamar just wants one more year to prove try to get as much money as he possibly can try to stay as healthy as possible, prove as much as he could then get that big deal. I have a hard time believing that this won't happen, that that a deal won't happen next off season with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. Okay. So that's intriguing. Cause I think honestly, I, I hope, I hope I'm wrong, but just with how these situations unfold, sometimes with these quarterbacks now that from an organization standpoint, you're like, we have the tag and, Based off of their roster, there's no one else that they would probably put the tag on, right? Because everyone else is pretty solidified and locked up in regards to those key pieces. I think, and then the other question would be is, how healthy can this team stay? Because they were (laughs) obliterated by injury last year. And I have them winning the division. I I had them at like 13 wins right behind Buffalo. I have them now closer to the 11-12 range. Do you have that Baltimore in the playoffs or do you have them on the outside looking in because of how deep the AFC is? I have them as the other, I have Cincinnati as the other wild card team because I have the AFC West getting three teams. Mm-hmm. I don't have the Ravens in the playoffs. Okay. I have them around like 10, 11 wins. And I still don't think that'll be enough to grab a playoff spot in the, the AFC. Tie, you think the tie break, they'll lose out on tiebreaker or whatever. Yeah. Like, it's, it's really going to be rough in the AFC this year. There's going to be tons of teams with winning records that don't make the playoffs because of how deep the AFC is this year. I think that the Ravens are going to be good. I think they're going to be an extremely hard team to beat as per usual. They're right. going to do what the Ravens do best. They're going to beat every team that they're supposed to beat. 
they're not going to get upset. But when it comes down to beating teams that are the cream of the crop, they're going to fall short in many of those games. I just feel like I can't see them being amongst the AFC's best. I think that their division is hard. I think their conference is hard. And I just see them as a very good team, but not a playoff team in the AFC this year. And I think it's a warranted argument, right? This is a team that has already lost a couple more pieces. Like you traded away Marquise Brown, the number one option, which didn't make sense to me. I think there was a lot of riffraff there that obviously that was not unfolding because they're a run-oriented team and their number one wide receiver thought he wasn't getting enough touches, even though other than Andrews, it was him and Andrews getting touching the ball on the outside. Dobbins didn't. Dobbins hasn't looked great at all this these last couple of weeks with that ankle. So it doesn't even look like he's going to be a hundred percent this, these first couple of weeks, but I think it's going to be all predicated on, unfortunately we were hypocritical with Lamar and his passing. He's in those, especially in those big games, he struggles. Are we going to be able to see some improvement with him throwing the football? And then defensively where the front seven has always been stout and they, but the, Back end has always been their issue, even though they have Marcus Peters, who's coming off of an injury. But they have all their their entire secondary is coming off of injury. Yep. So where it's going to be an intriguing mixed bag. So I have Baltimore winning the division, then I have Cincinnati getting in, then it's going to be Pittsburgh, and then Cleveland. That's how I'm ranking the AFC North. Peyton, I think you had you're going Bengals. Bengals at one. Okay. Then three non-playoff teams. Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Cleveland. Okay, just I I'm intrigued now. Who what are what is your AFC look like then? Because you only have the North getting one team. Do you have the AFC West getting all four then, or do you have? No, I have the AFC West getting three. Okay, just so lay out lay out lay out your AFC to me. I'm intrigued now. Okay, my AFC North I have the Bengals. AFC East I have the Bills. AFC West I have the Chargers. AFC South, I have the Colts. Um, okay. Yeah. Three wild cards, Chiefs, Raiders, and then, um, oh my gosh, I said it the other night on Marcus's show, but it wasn't the Ravens. It it was, um, let me think, it wasn't the Dolphins. Patriots? Wasn't the Patriots. I'm very down on the Patriots. Is it AFC. Do, you, do you have Tennessee getting in? No, I don't have Tennessee getting in. You're at six. Okay, then maybe it was the Ravens. Oh my gosh. Now I'm now I'm so confused. I hate this. If you want to know my if you want to know my AFC predictions after the end of this show, go watch Marcus's show uh, and on the NFL kickoff. I gave my AFC predictions in there. I can't remember my seventh team. Oh man. I love it. I love it though. Because I have I I have my seven. I have Buffalo. I have Buffalo winning the being the number one overall team in the NFL. Mm-hmm. And I think that they're my representative to win the Super Bowl and my pick to win the Super Bowl. So I think everyone's heard that on my this, these last couple of divisional breakdowns. But I have Buffalo. Then I have Baltimore. Then I have the Chargers winning the division. And then I had Indy winning the division. That's just because I don't know. what I think Tennessee is going to fall apart this year. I really do. I think Malik Willis will be playing at some point. Mm-hmm. And then I have Kansas City as the five. So I have Denver getting in. So you have Denver out. And yeah. then I have Cincinnati as my seventh team. I think that's what I have. Is that seven? Yeah. Now now I'm now I'm blanking. See, oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, it, whatever it was, I said it on that show. Right. I said it on so that show. Go check if you haven't yet, what a plug by Peyton Doyle right there. <laughs> go check out <laughs> go check out our good friend <laughs> Go Talk with Marcus as he did there his big uh, NFL predictions and Peyton and Jerm St- from Stuff About Sports was on. Did Jerm come on for that as well? Jerm was on, yes. Go check out Jerm from Stuff About Sports. All right, before I let you go, we're almost about to wrap out of time. I just want to get your take on last night's game. What did bu- a Buffalo and Rams? I have a lot of question marks with the Rams after last night. Yeah, I do too. I think the Rams had plenty of opportunities to get back into this game and they shut the door on themselves. And then by the time the third quarter rolled around, it looked like they were done. First of all, Jalen Ramsey was toast the entire game. Oh, that, was, that meme was hilarious last night. Yeah. He was trending. 
yeah, he was, he was, I mean, he got, he got beat. It was a tough game on all aspects of the ball for the Rams. Too many turnovers, couldn't capitalize on, on offense when their defense actually did make plays. Their defense couldn't stop the Bills from making big plays. I believe Devin Singletary was averaging like six yards per carry. Stefan Diggs went off. Josh Allen went off. I think he had, what, four total touchdowns. Bills are legit. Rams have a lot of question marks. I think they'll bounce back, though. I expected them to start off a little bit slow this year and okay. still be very good in the NFC. But um, overall, it's about what I expected. Just the Rams were a little bit worse than I thought they would be out of the gates. Right. I think for Buffalo, like if they weren't sloppy, the game would have been over at halftime. Yeah. I really do. If they weren't sloppy, but the, my major question mark for the Rams were, even though Stafford says he feels healthier than he has been than last year, that that arm doesn't didn't look right last night. It really didn't. There was a lot of lack of velocity on those throws, especially those out those long throws to the outside hashes. And I'm I I have some concerns. And I was I've been preaching that with Stafford that I thought they were going to have to rest him a couple games to make sure that he gets that right for their actual real stretch run to win to win a be back in the Super Bowl, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And then I they're was... too reliant on Cup. Way too reliant on Cup. Allen Robinson only got two targets last night. That is ridiculous of having a number two wide receiver. Yeah, they were definitely force-feeding Cup the ball. And I was a little bit concerned about Matthew Stafford's elbow, but my main thing with the Rams was, holy crap, do they miss Andrew Whitworth on, on, the, on the left side of that oh, offensive man. line. That offensive so line. for that rookie. That rookie yeah. got cooked last night. I mean, it wasn't even it wasn't even a fair matchup. It looked like I mean that Bills pass rush I thought was going to be pretty good, and I thought Von Miller was going to come in and make a difference. But right. holy crap, they were struggling on that offensive line, and part of that could contribute to Matthew Stafford's poor play last night. It might not even be just the elbow; it might just be the fact that he doesn't have as much time as he used to last year. Right. I think there's going to be a lot of different nuances. I think they really missed OBJ last night too for some quicker passes. They got yep. McVay didn't have them prepared. It really I can say that. It didn't look like McVay had them prepared. But um Peyton, thank you so much for coming on the final whistle. I know we've been working on this for a while. Tell me what's going on with your show and what's happening. Plug yourself where to catch you for my following to go like, subscribe, follow, leave your review. Where at? Yeah, so basically you could find me at PD Sports on TikTok, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and all that good stuff, and YouTube as well. The main thing that I've been doing is I started a new show with Marcus, who we mentioned earlier, uh, called The Rundown. It's on every Thursdays before Thursday Night Football. It's a 30-minute show. You talk about all the biggest headlines in sports, and we just, you know, it, it's, a, it's a good show. It's a lot like PTI, and yesterday was the first episode of it, so go check it out. It's out on my YouTube channel, like I said, um, at PD Sports, and, you know, other than, you know, other than that, that's, that's pretty much it. Well, Peyton, thank you so much again for coming on the show. I can't wait to have you on again. Um, everybody, we've done it. The divisional breakdowns are over. I fell a little bit behind by not getting it in by the Thursday deadline. Only a two days behind. I'll take it. We had it before the Sunday. Everybody, enjoy the football. Football is back. And don't you forget, I do another show now. It's called Nothing Like a Saturday, focusing everything college football now as well. I know you guys enjoy the final whistle a lot more than maybe that, but it's just as good as the final with sports podcast. Go plug out the nothing like it Saturday college football show, but that is the final with sports podcast signing off. Enjoy the football. Divisional breakdowns are done. And now we're going to be rolling through analyzing the, the football that is going to be on display in week one. Thank you, everybody. Have a good one.